What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Today we're talking an Academy Award Best Picture from 1992, Unforgiven. Oh man, this is on the heels of Iris revealing to me during our Nobody review that she had never seen Unforgiven. I was rather busy in 1992, if you might recall. I have no recollection of what that was about at all. I was also busy, but I still had time to see Unforgiven repeatedly. Yeah, but that's because you got a boner for Clint Eastwood. A boner? I will say that Clint Eastwood is the coolest ultra-conservative in Hollywood. (laughs) What was your quote from that Olympic movie with the fat dude? Richard Jewell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so offensive today. You said that Clint Eastwood was the dutiest dude since John Wayne. Yeah. I mean, he's old. Clint Eastwood is 91 years old or something. You know what's funny is he's old in 1992. Yep. I mean, that's the whole point. Like, he's falling off of horses, and I'm, like, grimacing, like, oh, my God. I I really hope there was padding underneath that dirt or something, because he's way too old to be falling off of horses. Yeah, but, I mean, he had a hard-ass, demanding director who made him do those things. Oh, you mean himself? So is Unforgiving Clint Eastwood's opus? I honestly believe that is the case, at least for directing. Clint Eastwood, for me, has this weird cachet as one of the most prolific and casual directors in Hollywood who's made some astounding movies while also having total garbage. It's like having, it's like a Counting Crows album. There's like a few awesome songs and the rest of it's kind of filler. <laughs> we'll come back to the directing, but what's his, what's your favorite acting performance of Clint Eastwood? I think he's really strong in Million Dollar Baby one of his later roles, and maybe Unforgiven. This is where we get to see the softer, albeit forced softer side of the tough guy. Uh, I very much like him in The Bridges of Madison County, where he plays a romantic lead, but I don't know that he was the best person that could have been cast. Clint Eastwood is not like Sergio Leone and Don Siegel before him, He's not bound to the the Western director where he cut his teeth early on in his career and that's the movie he sticks to. He does whatever he wants to do. You speak of Sergio and Don, to whom this movie is dedicated. And who are they? They were his mentors. Sergio Leone, of course, the amazing spaghetti Western director where Clint Eastwood really came to prominence in a trio of movies, possibly more, that he never thought were going to see the the light of American cinemas. The Man With No Name trilogy, as it's called now, um, became a staple of the postmodern Western. And the anti-hero character endures to this day. And then Don Siegel directed some of his uh, better-known stateside Western movies, but he considered both mentors. So can I just get it out of the way? Okay. Unforgiven is slow. Unforgiven is, well, Unforgiven is slow because money is slow. Will money is slow. He's not like that anymore, kid. Unforgiven is painfully linear. I don't know how to interpret that. From the moment the bad deed is done, 
you know that it's going to be resolved by your hero. And likewise, William Money's trajectory is not surprising in any way. Really? And that's what makes it feel slow. It's like, you know, dude's coming back into his own, right? These personas or these parts of you, they don't go away. It just depends on how deeply you bury them. Was it from the outset with you as a modern moviegoer, as a savvy moviegoer? Did you come to terms with this idea that, okay, it's slow right now because we know that the will money of old is going to come raging back. So when is that going to be? Let's get on with it. Yeah, kind of. Interesting. And I'm not saying that the evolution isn't beautiful and that it isn't realistically portrayed. Like there is poetry in his evolution, unearthing the layers of sediment that are covering the old will money. He's very motivated right in coming back into that person but it's just so obvious movie came out in 1992 and i was pretty young i don't remember things like the marketing or the trajectory i know that i was a huge fan of clint eastwood from the dollars trilogy uh, particularly which we grew up on the good the bad and the ugly right because dad loves a good spaghetti western but i came at unforgiven not saying okay well it's inevitable that will money's going to kind of get back on the horse you know if you'll forgive the pun because he was a broken down pig farmer he couldn't even get on his horse without bumping his head or wrestle the hogs without taking a dive in the pen full of mud couldn't take out a can with a six shooter had to use the shotgun i didn't see it as inevitable and i didn't i also didn't see his reemergence as the will money of old as a heroic bid from a movie star who's past his prime as a western star are you remembering how you felt 30 years ago it's hard to say because i've seen this movie at least 30 times so you're trying to relate to me in seeing it the first time, saying that you didn't expect William Money to become William Money. Well, I didn't see it because the kid is the obvious hero. He's headstrong. He's willing to shoot Crazy Mike in the shithouse. And he's willing to throw himself in harm's way because he's pretty fast, even though he can't see worth a damn. <laughs> Likewise, I thought that Ned Logan you know, dead eye shot with the Spencer rifle. The three of them were going to be able to carry it out, but I didn't see the reemergence, the muscle memory of Will Money at the end. You can't have possibly imagined that Ned was going to go out the way he did. I mean, not in not in its specifics. And I definitely was held in suspense until the moment the darkness consumed him like I was like somebody's gonna take a shot and then and I'm like gritting my teeth and like bracing myself for some coward to shoot him in the back I, I didn't expect William Money to ride off into the sunset unscathed to become a dry goods and sundry man in <laughs> northern California I didn't expect that but that still doesn't sound slow to me that doesn't sound like you were gritting your teeth and cringing when he falls off his horse I mean that's true but that's just because he was old and frail looking We've talked about the Western being the only true American genre of filmmaking, at least in terms of historical significance. Lots of British people, like we talked about Paul Greengrass in News of the World, and Sergio Leone, classic for bringing maybe the arguably the most un-American Westerns to American cinemas that were a huge hit. Not to say that Clint Eastwood is the end-all, be-all for Westerns, but he is definitely an authority. We had the... Black hat, white hat, good guy, bad guy, gets the girl, shoots some engines, kind of westerns. And then we had the postmodern era of westerns with the Dollars trilogy and these anti-heroes where the line between good and bad was blurred. Where you can feel for a protagonist who openly admits to killing women and children. 
Right. Dispelling all the mythos and deconstructing the Western from what we had come to expect after already having done so with Clint Eastwood having been a big part of that. I'm not sure what Will Money is capable of. As badass as he was in the past or as ruthless as he was in the past, what has he become? He's a recovered sociopath murder sociopath who's healed by love and he's struggling to kind of hold it together after the passing of his wife Claudia. So this is three years into him trying to maintain his not only his um, chemical sobriety but his um, is there a murderer murderers anonymous? I'm sure his murdering sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we I, I think we need to get to what you think is great about Unforgiven because it sure ain't Gene Hackman, despite his Oscar win for his supporting role as Little Bill Daggett. I'm guessing it sure was. He was part of the greatness of this movie. But this was the gunslinger myth turned on its ear. English Bob was the quintessential dandy, fancy white hat man who supposedly got the girls and was a quick draw and a gentleman to boot until he wasn't until he gets his ass kicked in the dirt and reverts to his lowly Cockney accent as he's being hauled away by the wagon. This was the real tough guys who go unseen, who aren't necessarily advocating for violence, but are sheriffs in Big Whiskey, this little town, where he doesn't want anything to do with it because it doesn't glorify gun violence or murder, because Little Bill will resort to violence to keep this element out of his town, where Will will turn to pig farming and dry goods and sundries to avoid the past, live by the guidance his wife set down and just trying to provide a good life for these youngsters. And they're led into violence because, as you said, maybe this human nature is unavoidable. Maybe it's inevitable that people don't really change. And there are catalysts for that. I mean, it seems like Little Bill is well-respected until some cowboys cut up a whore and then everybody comes from far and wide and bring the element to Big Whiskey that he wants to avoid. And likewise, when Will Money is faced with desperation and ultimately he's fueled by revenge, he goes on a killing spree like none Big Whiskey had ever seen. It's all dormant and it's lying in wait. And it's powerful in that way because it's not Mortal Kombat violence for the sake of violence. I get that Bill and Bill are two sides of the same coin. Oh, look at that. Never got that. <laughs> maybe it's a little messier than that, but they're cut from the same cloth, maybe is a better way to put it. Because Bill waxes philosophical to his scribe about the most important thing to be a badass. It's not being a quick draw. It's not being hot-headed. It's being cool-headed and even-handed. And both he and Bill Money are that man. There's just something little, a little less respectable about little Bill. Like he's the sheriff and all, but he's hiding his sadism under a badge. Whereas Will Money... He's clearly a sociopath, but he's honest about it and trying to do right by it, which is all anybody can do about their baser nature. But what I'm hearing you say is that these characters are complex and they bring all the dynamism to this otherwise fairly simple story. 
a fairly simple story that floated around Hollywood for something like 20 years. Under various names, Gene Hackman indeed turned down the role of Will Money and turned down the script at large until Clint Eastwood convinced him. It been around for a while, was maybe a pretty simple story that was infused with what I think is this Clint Eastwood magic that he has in limited supply that he'll put out in great movies and, and he'll win Best Picture and Best Director and, and all this stuff and other ones will go completely unrecognized. This was just one of the ones. And it was like, as you put it, Martin Scorsese returning to form. It was the bookend to his Western career, which started in Rawhide. And it was, you know, deceptively simple. But we talked in our review of Nobody about this idea of the long dormant animal, the animalistic nature just ready to rear its head, given the right catalyst. And I compared that movie, I still think unjustifiably, to Unforgiven, that he is the sedate family man who goes back in for one last job. And this trope has been around since the beginning of movies. But Clint Eastwood is Western royalty. And to see him so thoroughly broken down, discombobulated, unsure. Oh, especially when he's got the fever. Oh, yeah. And he's he's mumbling about the angel of death and Claudia with worms in her eyes and stuff. <laughs> You're like, dude, he's busted. But, you know, talk about slow. He is consistently busted for at least 90 minutes of this movie. And literally during the revelation that Ned has been caught and killed by little Bill, Will starts drinking again. Right. Pulling from the moonshine or whatever that the kid was drinking to ease the pain of his first kill. Right. Which turned him into a pacifist. <laughs> right. He's done forever. But he also grew like this fear of Will from, for some reason because he, tra he saw Will's true nature coming through or something. Well, just the stories about him dynamiting the Rock Island Railroad, killing women and children and how he was more ruthless than William Bonney. These are the stuff that when, when I mean, he knew this stuff going in. Right. When he was a badass, when he was a pretty quick draw and when he was assured that he could kill these two cowboys by himself and don't take three. Once all that was dispelled, once he knew that he could never draw down on a human being again and knowing that Will was actually these people, because he had decided that Will was a broken down pig farmer and didn't wasn't up to the task. And, you know, hell, Ned, me and you can take these two together. Once he realizes that it's all substantiated, that little Bill, who runs that town with an iron fist, will acknowledge the, the heinous nature of Will Money's crimes against the backdrop of American Westerns. I think it's hugely important, and it's one of my favorite movies. I'll go ahead and spoil that for you. And I think that it's really effective in that way. And so it's been hugely analyzed, and we can talk about the themes in English Bob and, and dispelling the, the myth of the gunfighter as being always the noble gentleman and all that stuff. But really, it comes down to the turn that this movie took for me, which was so savage and so powerful, didn't make sense in the world that they lived in anymore. This was, you know, came out of Cheyenne and can't, he worked all those tough towns, boys, for a little Bill, and now he's retired to this town that he doesn't want anything to do with the guns and violence. And to have Will stroll into a saloon full of people who are gearing up for their hunt to go and kill him and to throw down is astounding to me. Even in light of all the murderous gunfights we've seen like it pales in comparison to the death house at the end of Django for example right but that's just cartoon violence that's gallons and buckets of blood this is Will Money who can't get on a horse to save his life now liquored up and not clear-headed 
But apparently that's the thing for him. This really brings Will Money into his own. To walk in with nothing more than a double-barreled shotgun, where little Bill says he's got one barrel left, he walks into that saloon fully intending to die. Let's everyone know his intention of blowing Skinny away, levels the shotgun and blows Skinny across the bar. You tell me you didn't feel the power of that moment? Little Bill was right, man. He was ruthless in a way that it doesn't matter. Deserves got nothing to do with it, he said. He doesn't care. Will Money doesn't care that he was building a house. Will Money didn't care that he was preaching this idea of nonviolence and no guns in a town where he could settle down and sit on the porch and, and, and drink his coffee and stare at the sunset. He doesn't pay any mind to shooting an unarmed man. Right. And I went back and I watched the trailer for Unforgiven, which is dumb. I mean, they're like, this is a Western in a time, in a land where everybody murders everybody. And and then you get down to the part where he's like, you just shot an unarmed man. And he says, he should have armed himself. Unforgiving. And it's like, that's so <laughs> lame. You're missing the point. What is the point? The point is, if he's going to decorate the saloon with my friend. And it, it treated it very much as the violent Western and maybe coming into that. Having seen Django, having seen all of these Westerns, Unforgiven is slow. And when they pull their guns, it's for a reason. I find it a little ironic that he considered himself lucky, considering he gets a misfire on Little Bill. Right. None of them hit Will. He didn't even take like a sympathy shot. You know, he didn't like you would expect the hero to take one bullet where he'd like ride off back to the homestead with his hurt shoulder or something to pack the kids up. He sat and drank a shot at the bar that he didn't pay for among the dead bodies. Right. There's something, because you said boring, I would say measured, and it's got so much more weight when anyone fires a gun in this movie as, a, as opposed to any of the Western shootout type movies. Like, I keep thinking about, for some reason, when Bill, it's a great line where Bill says, I don't deserve this to die like this. I was building a house. He says, deserves got nothing to do with it. Little Bill says, I'll see you in hell, Will Money. Thinks about it for a good long beat and says, yeah, because he really will. Because that's what it's come down to. They're coming down to the end, and really they're the same people that they were 20, 30 years before. And then he levels the shotgun slowly at Bill's face, and Gene Hackman takes that long, raggedy breath before Will blows his head off. It's got me gritting my teeth on the edge of my seat. Like, holy cow. But little Bill totally deserves it. He's a sadist. He's not serving justice. He's serving his, his idea of big whiskey which he seems to have the soul vision for like his treatment of the cowboys up top right you ain't what does she say like you ain't even gonna whip them yeah he's like yeah and then he finds them a couple ponies and and he you know stokes the ire of strawberry alice and he's not concerned with justice he's concerned with keeping the peace because he has this idea of what big whiskey is supposed to be and then his treatment of English Bob is this big ego stroking performance and unnecessarily brutal and humiliating. And then he taunts the writer and he taunts English Bob in the cell. like, And it all culminates with the whipping of Ned, which is so egregious and sadistic and weird and mean. Yeah, that thing where he gets all intimate on his shoulder and says, I'm not going to hurt no whores, but I'm going to hurt you. Not gentle like before, but bad. And he's like, he's like all <laughs> yeah, whispering in his ear, like, I'm so sorry to have to do this, but... Yeah, and Morgan Freeman's all undressed and sweaty and look, heaving. undoubtedly sadistic. 
But I don't know. I, I feel like little Bill is just the tough guy who doesn't have a gentle hand or the patience. He's just shy of smacking the whores around like Skinny does. Right. But he doesn't do it. He's just Gene, Gene Hackman's little Bill is to big whiskey what Clint Eastwood is to Hollywood. He's just unapologetic, an old school tough guy who's not going to change because of how you feel about him. Yeah, but Will Money's the nice one, as uh, Delilah puts it. Yeah. There's a lot of strangeness in this movie and a lot of playing against types. Subverting expectations. Yeah, where she perceives him as the nice one who has clung to this idea of his wife being all that is good and pure in his life so that he would turn down a free one. But if he did have a free one... It would be with her, obviously. Yeah, and the <laughs> moments with, with Bill at his house. And, and the fact that Bill took down English Bob, who I don't think was ever intended to be likable, put Bill in a unique position to be the one who called him out on his bull and then is still the indisputable villain of this movie. So is Ned Logan a man of good character? Is he a good guy? I don't know that these labels apply is he a good guy he did some horrible things he was he might not have been as ruthless as will money but he was also there when he shot the deputies you know maybe even when he, he was part of the gang with eagle and bonaparte and who retired with his engine wife and his spencer rifle above the doorway i noticed that he was married to sally tutri who has an apparent dislike for will money um, what does he say? Engine aren't the friendly type or something like he that. He says, and I quote, well, Sally's engine will, and you know, engines ain't over friendly. But don't they call him like Ned Tree or something too? Ned Roundtree. Yeah, Ned Roundtree. So what's with the trees? I don't know. Maybe he was progressive and took part of his wife's. Maybe his name was Ned Round and it's he's hyphenated, Ned Roundtree. <laughs> or maybe she's progressive and she was just uh, Sally Tree. And then when she hooked up with Ned Roundtree, she took his name and became Sally Two Trees. Uh, now you're just showing off. Um, I hate to bring it up because they don't in the movie. But like, where do black people fit in in the historical Western times? It's interesting. They don't talk about it at all, which I liked. And for that reason, I'm kind of hesitant to bring it up. But like Ned is a complete partner and equal to Will Money. At no point do they bring up Ned's race as a story point. So this movie is part of my five-part Western introductory series that I forced Kelly to sit through. Um, it all culminated in, spoiler, No Country for Old Men. But in No Country for Old Men, Anton Chigurh says when they had the Mexicans go after Llewellyn instead of just him, that's foolish. You choose the one right tool. I think that Morgan Freeman was the right tool for Ned Roundtree, regardless of his race. And because it wasn't a sticking point in the script, it was never brought up and it was passable. That said, it's been speculated that because Ned carries a Spencer rifle, which is a very distinctive weapon, it's possible that he was part of the all-black Civil War regiment that had Spencer rifles. And so that that rifle is a carryover from his Civil War days. And he was also in the All Black Regiment or part of the operation in Glory, starring Denzel Washington. So black people had standing in the Old West for sure. And I think kind of a lot of that is swept under the rug. But there are notable black gunfighters and a black regiment in the Civil War. Not to say that they were treated equally or fairly or respected by a lot of the, the white soldiers. 
But whatever the case, there was a presence, and this movie thankfully didn't make a big deal about it because ultimately it would have been a distraction. Can you speak half as eloquently about horrors? Wow, it's a really bad comparison. Did you know that the first title of this movie was The Cut Horror Killings? No. Yeah. This, like I said, it floated around for 20 years. And then honestly, over the years, I've come to accept that the second title, Unused, is actually the best title. You know, in the same way that uh, Brad Pitt said he wasn't going to make the movie if they didn't keep it titled The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford which is undoubtedly unwieldy, and it could easily go by the assassination of Jesse James, but he liked it. I equally like the unmarketable, the William Money killings. Mm. I get it. It doesn't work, but I really like it. It lends to this like dime store novel of this historic event, this violent episode in American history that people would tell the stories of. Pete Southall was definitely telling his stories about Ned and Will Money to the kids, so much so that he sought him out knowing that he was going to be considerably older when he had to ride and kill two dudes because he was the most ruthless son of a bitch to do it. Well, maybe. Maybe the Will Money killings was the ultimate product of Beauchamp. Man, Saul Rubinek is so good in exactly this kind of role. We talked about him in The Family Man. We talked about him. Uh, well, we didn't really talk about him, but he was in he was in the wagon at the end of uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I may have kind of ragged on Unforgiven a little bit, and it was partially to really test your mettle and how well you can defend this movie, and partially because it's a little dated. But ultimately, I can see that Unforgiven is a masterpiece in its genre, and... That it is, in some ways, a culmination of Clint Eastwood's cinematic work. It works on many levels, especially if you don't go into it horribly desensitized by some of the modern-day, overly violent westerns. Unforgiven is such a hallmark of American cinema for me. I do consider it his masterpiece, even though he did the same thing, what, 13 years later for Million Dollar Baby. So I don't know. It's my favorite Clint Eastwood movie, hands down. It also came at a very impressionable time in your life, especially in terms of your burgeoning, I don't know, love for cinema. It's one of those few movies that I just, I got it and I was like, this is important. And I understood it. Not in like a box office kind of way. So are you going to scrimp or are you going to go full totally for Unforgiven? Uh, both for that one dude's book of a thousand movies you need to see before you die. The National Film Registry, including this for uh, significant aesthetic or cultural relevance or significance. Uh, the Academy Awards, uh, many lists listing this as not only one of the best Westerns of all time, but one of the best movies of art all time. I'm going to give this an absolute totally rating for any reason. Pick your pick a reason. You've got to see Unforgiven. And everybody I know, including you, has now seen Unforgiven, whether organically or at my urging. If you haven't seen Unforgiven, you're dumb. If you're listening to this without having seen Unforgiven, downright stupid. Talk about alienating our listeners. I, like, I don't love all listeners just because they listen. They have to also like movies and be halfway intelligent. Thank you. So what would you say or do to me if I said, if I gave Unforgiven a boring? I would say that you <laughs> were in a bad mood. I would genuinely be concerned and be like, are you okay? Because <laughs> you you may not love it. It may not be your your favorite West, Western, but going back to what you said, to not view it for its significant contribution and impact, not only to Westerns, but to movies at large, modern movies, 
I wouldn't be able to see it. I, if I were to bet the house on your rating, I would go with good. At least a good. To concede a good for Unforgiven is hardly a concession. And what are what's my rating system? Good or boring. You said it was boring, but when he blows Skinny across the bar and then shoots everybody in sight, has a whiskey, shoots the dude on the way outside, says, all right, I'm coming out. Any man takes a shot at me, I'm going to kill him. Not only am I going to kill him, I'm going to kill all his friends. Burn his damn house down. <laughs> For that not to be like a laugh out loud funny line just shows you how in the moment you had to be when Will Money comes back to prominence. He is, for me, like Hannibal Lecter, you go in, you know he's terrifying. Jack Torrance, even in the bug on the way to the Overlook, you know he's terrifying. But Will Money to rise up full of scars and whiskey and shoot everybody dead, he's the most terrifying transformation that I can think of in movie history. So much awe and power at that dude that you hear about killing women and children and everything that moves at one time or another, to walk into a bar with a loaded shotgun facing certain death and kill everybody, still moves me to this day. You can't get all emotional about the octopus, but you can get you can get all emotional about the murderer's will money. Well, it, I mean, if this was narrated by a dorky dude or a creepy dude, <laughs> will money walked into the bar, everyone turned and stared, the gleam in his eye. I don't know. It, apparently, uh, one of the first things he did in the script was change the voiceover to the card for the. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the card's so simple yeah. and Claudia focused. And just, it's like we see this whole story that's playing out on the surface. Whereas, I mean, the story inside of Will Money is even simpler than the, narr- than the narrative of, of Unforgiven. Yeah. Like the story that's going on in Will Money's head is like Claudia, Claudia. Linear narrative for sure, but it uh, subverted expectations, I think, at many turns. All right. It's a given. I will give this movie a good, and that is our review. Unforgiven. Wes gives it a totally, a boner-filled totally. Stop. And a good from Iris. Look, if nothing (laughs) else, you're like, you know, what what would you do with this about your nerdiness for this movie if we didn't have this podcast? At the very least, this podcast brought to light some disturbing information about you, which I immediately had to rectify by demanding that you watch Unforgiven. Totally worth it on that basis alone. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. Let us know what you think about Unforgiven. Or whatever movies at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at or whatever movies. We really like to hear from you and we really appreciate your support. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In the Spanish Remixes, out now on Electric Cast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic.
Electricast. Electricast.